On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. But I think it's important that people in certain positions know that it's okay to drop the ball as long as you pick it back up. You know, a lot of us get in that space where we drop a ball and then we're scared to go back and we're like, okay, I'm gonna just keep moving forward because I don't want to, you know, lose this momentum or I don't want to lose. And you can't do that. You really have to take those steps back or, or stop if that's what you need to do and revisit whatever it is, because that's how you learn a new behavior. And that's something I teach when I'm working with my clients. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. All right, lady, we have a very special guest today, an inspiring guest, and I'm just going to go ahead and read her bio so we can jump into this juicy conversation, okay? So Linnell P. Laws is a licensed marriage and family therapist who resides in Los Angeles, California. She has over 15 years of experience in the field, and she's currently employed by the Ahmad Institute as a behavioral health therapist, where she collaborates with the Watts Labor Community Action Committee on Project Impact. The Project Impact program is here to eliminate recidivism within the community. As a single mother of two, a woman of color, and someone directly impacted by the criminal justice system, Linnell has overcome many adversities of her own. Due to her lived experience, Linnell has been able to meet her clients where they are while helping them change the way they navigate through life. She is an expert, capitalized expert, okay, y'all? She's yes, an expert, yes. all caps, <laughs> at being trauma-informed and implementing harm reduction and uses this to change the way communities of color view therapists and mental health. Liddell recently started a private practice called Heal Thyself Wellness Services, which provides therapy services to individuals struggling with anxiety, depression, and or trauma. She is known for saying, this isn't just my passion, this is my purpose. There All right. So <laughs> now you're here. Welcome to Cultivating Home Space. We're so excited to have you. Yes. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me here today. I really appreciate it. It's always great when I can be in a space with other encouraging and uplifting women to be able to just share our stories and let people know, you know, you don't have to believe what other people tell you. You can believe what you want to believe about yourself. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that that lends itself perfectly to our quote of the day. So our quote of the day comes to us from Dr. Tingle, who is a licensed psychologist, current president of the American Psychological Association, and lives and practices in LA. Okay. All right. So <laughs> The quote of the day, the story you tell yourself can keep you stuck. Healing gives you permission for a rewrite, a new story, a new season. Yes, I love that. I love that. And so I feel like I need to repeat it just so that we can really sit with it and make sure the folks in the back heard it. The story you tell yourself can keep you stuck. Healing gives you permission for a rewrite, a new story, a new season. Well, now, when you hear this quote and you think about the work that you do, 
What, what comes up for you? What resonates with you around this quote? Honestly, the entire quote resonated with me, not just in the work that I do, but in regards to my life. You know, so when you talk about what we tell ourselves and what we believe, that's a true statement. You can believe what other people have conditioned you to believe about yourself, about society, about, you know, your family, whatever, whatever that context is. You can believe those things and it can hold you back. Or you can choose to write your own story, rewrite history, you know, and so I, I love that. I love that it hits a lot of different levels. I love that it speaks to the entire person and not just, you know, one human being, not just women, not just men, but the, to the entire person. So that's what I also like about it. That is so beautiful. Hey, girl. Hey, we hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are. But let's be real. It costs money to podcast and we got bills to pay. So enjoy this commercial break as you process what we've been talking about. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you're also supporting us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I've had many moments in life where I was at a crossroads and didn't know what path to take. I remember when I was contemplating which grad school to attend and which city I wanted to move to for my first job. I also remember being overwhelmed by life and struggling with depression and anxiety. In these critical moments, I turned to therapy as a resource and outlet for me, and it was extremely helpful to learn more about positive coping skills and get the encouragement I needed to be the best version of myself. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. I've used BetterHelp myself and also recommended it to family and friends. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, which is why I highly recommend it. All you have to do is complete a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com cultivating today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash cultivating. Lady, do you want to smell better naked? Let's face it. Our underarms aren't the only place we have odor. That's why we're excited to tell you about Lumi Whole Body Deodorant for underarms and beyond. Lumi was created by an OBGYN who discovered and proved in clinical testing that the vagina is not to blame for day-to-day -day odor below the belt. So... She developed Lumi, a uniquely formulated pH-balanced deodorant. It's aluminum-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. And just for you, we have a special offer. New customers get $5 off Lumi starter pack with code HERSPACE at LumiDeodorant.com. Let me tell you, using Lumi toasted coconut smells amazing. And it works well, particularly on those hot summer days, like when you're at an all-day festival or soaking up the sun on the beach. And to be clear, Lumi is not an antiperspirant, so you still will sweat, which is a healthy body function, but there is no odor. Lumi works like a pre-odorant. And again, it's aluminum-free, baking soda-free, and paraben-free plus its pH balance for safe use below the belt. Choose from a variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, or my personal favorite, toasted coconut. And again, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code HERSPACE at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use HerSpace. Cultivating HerSpace has a passion for helping women feel safe and accepted. And here at McLaurin Mental Wellness, I have a passion for helping women cultivate a life with less anxiety, fear, and worry. Hi, I'm LaShonda McLaurin, the founder of McLaurin Mental Wellness, the premier in anxiety counseling, 
coaching, and courses for women. McLaurin Mental Wellness has helped hundreds of women change their lives, and now we want to help you through individual therapy and group coaching. We're currently accepting new clients for individual therapy. You can book a free 15-minute consultation to get started. And backed by popular demand is the Anxiety Management Group for Women. This eight-week anxiety management group discusses a variety of topics related to anxiety and teaches you how to manage it in your daily life. The next group begins on September 5th and sign up is currently open. All of the services are led by me, LaShawna McLaurin, a licensed therapist and anxiety specialist who has been providing therapy for over 10 years and has a passion for serving women. To learn more, visit McLaurinMentalWellness.com. All right, let's get back into it. As you were just sharing, I feel like I'm a little emotional, y'all. So you have to so me too. I don't, know, I don't know what just happened, but I was just like looking at our screen. I'm looking at these amazing, like these, uh, us as beautiful black women. And Linnell, I know we we don't know each other personally. We're all just meeting for the first time, you know, outside of Dom and I, of course. And we're thinking about Dom and I, like we were both parentified at young ages, right? Dom was raised, you know, coming from a single single parent household. I, my mom was in and out of jail since I was eight years old and we're estranged currently. And so we, we all had these tough upbringings, but we are where we are today. And so we've told our stories on the podcast, Linnell, from your bio, we already know you have a story. What is your story? <laughs> Tell us like, yes. what brought you to where you are today? And you, we okay. just going to sit back and chill. So don't feel like you're right. too much. We're just going to chill because... So, you know, we talk about emotions now. I'm, a, I'm an emotional person. So when you said that, I was like, it's bringing up some things for me as well. And I always start when I tell my story by saying for a long time, I was not able to show any emotions because I was not permitted to show any emotions. And so now I show so many emotions sometimes. It's up for what me. You know, when I'm happy, I cry. When I'm sad, I'm crying. When I'm sad, I cry. And when I'm frustrated, when I'm nervous. And so, of course, I'm finding that balance. But it was funny that you said that because I felt those emotions coming up as well, because I'm like, oh, it's a lot of things resonating with me when I heard that quote. <laughs> it it kind of opened me up to want to tell my story. So with that, and thank you for sharing, you know, those tidbits about your stories, because they're huge, even though they were little nuggets. They really gave me a lot of context to who I'm sitting here with today. So I appreciate that as well. So my story is similar. I was raised to or by two parents. I was raised by a single mother. But both of my parents have been in their addiction for years. So like you just stated, Terry, I was estranged from my mother for a very long time. We're currently rebuilding that relationship. So I'm really proud to be able to say that because I was not able to say that for a long time. And it just came into fruition the past year or so. So it is possible. And my dad, we have a fairly good relationship. But once again, they've struggled with their addictions. And so I struggled with being parentified. I struggled with being an only child as well. And I struggled with just finding my place and knowing my worth. And so a lot of my story has to do with that. It surrounds itself around that. I made a lot of choices that, and I say right now, I was so smart, I was dumb. You know that saying? You know, because I'm very intelligent, book-wise, but I was not street smart at the time. I became street smart because I had to, and I only had to because I put myself in those situations. I'll say it that way as well. I was incarcerated several times. And the last time that I was incarcerated, it was my, I want to say late 20s, early 30s. And I was looking at prison time. My mother is the only one who struggles with addiction. So on that side of my family, foundation is in church. I felt like I had a very supportive family, but at the same time, I could not relate. And so I pushed them away and did not accept a lot of the help that could have been given to me or should have been given to me. But also, I'm happy that I did not take it because it made me the woman I am today. So with all of those things, I once again, as I say, I was so smart. I, w- I was done, but I represented myself every time I went to court, was able to get myself less time represented myself when I 
went to school because they told me I would never be a therapist because of my charges and because of my record. I pushed through that, told them I didn't believe it and continue on. Ended up once again representing myself, getting my record expunged in court and just continued the journey. I was like, no, you're not going to tell me no. And that's that's one of my traits, too. I'm stubborn. (laughs) But that comes from being an only child. You know, I was always up against everyone else. So I felt like I had to prove to myself. So I took that into my adult life. Once again, I'm now working on that because I tell people all the time, anything that's on the extreme that, you know, is not good. You have to find that balance. So me being too independent was not healthy for me. And that showed up later. But I was able to advocate for myself in a lot of different ways, graduated, but was still denied an associate number. I fought the Board of Behavioral Sciences for two years. And for those of you who don't know, you have to get licensed in the state of California with the Board of Behavioral Sciences. I fought them for two years to be able to get licensed. And finally, they told me that they would give me my license, but with stipulations. So they gave me my license, but told me I had to get a psychological exam, that I had to do weekly therapy, and it could not be covered through my employment. I had to pay for it out of pocket. I had to do quarterly reports with a probation monitor with the Board of Behavioral Sciences, and I had to pay a yearly fee to even be on probation with them. So I had to do all of these things while I still couldn't become employed because I had, you know, this record still, even though it's expunged, anytime I had to get fingerprinted, it was still coming up. They would still, you know, judge me because of it. And so it was difficult to get stable employment. So I had a master's degree And I was working like at Dollar Tree and doing temporary employment and just, you know, three jobs at a time. And I have two children, so I was raising them as well, two daughters. So I'm doing all this, not giving up. I was extremely stressed. I'm not going to lie. I was crying and just, you know, going into class saying I'm going to quit and then saying, okay, I'm not going to quit. Then I'm going back trying to do something else. And, okay, how can I make myself more marketable or What can I do where I don't have to get licensed? So I started working on my doctorate. But in that time, I ended up getting employed with the probation department where I was living at the time. And so they gave me an opportunity because of my background. They were like, "Okay, we want to give you this opportunity. We're looking for people with lived experience. So I got that opportunity, did that for a year and a half. I was a substance abuse counselor. So I loved that job. And of course, I could relate because I'm like, okay, these are my people. You know, it's black and brown people, people with records, you know, people from underserved communities. So this is all me. And being a substance abuse counselor, I was able to also engage with individuals and get a different perspective because I have always been the child of two individuals struggling with addiction. And being able to actually speak with individuals struggling with addiction gave me a different perspective. And it actually opened that door, I think, at that time that made me want to bridge the gap with my mother. So that, you know, everything happened the way it was supposed to and kind of lined up for me. After that, I received a job with the county where I was living at at the time. And so, you know, they encouraged me to take that position as a therapist because I didn't have my associate number. And I went into that position and I was discriminated against. So the person I was working under did not like me because of the color of my skin. Because I was relatable, a lot of the clients wanted to see me and she just didn't want to give me an opportunity. And so she let me go before my time. And so I was discouraged. I started working at Apple. I sit doing iPhones and I was like, I'm not going to be able to, you know, use my degree. And, you know, but then I was like, don't give up. You know, something told me, don't give up. You haven't given up this in this t- amount of time. You're not going to give up now. So I was like, I'm going to just start applying out of town. You know, I don't really know if I want to move. I never lived anywhere else. And I was like, this is really a leap of faith. My family is all, you know, where I'm from. And I don't know if I can live anywhere else. 
because my mindset was just, it's difficult. And especially thinking about LA. It's like it's fast and it's expensive. And, you know, I'm just like, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. But I, I just told myself, put out those applications. And if someone calls, you'll go from there. I did that and I got some calls back. I started doing interviews virtually at the time. And this was right before the pandemic. I believe 2018 is when I moved. So I was doing interviews and I ended up getting a job and I couldn't get a place because of, you know, housing situation. And so I was commuting back and forth and I'm like, I'm not going to give up, but I was tired. And at this time, my oldest daughter was in college and my youngest daughter was still living with me. And I was trying to figure out how I would navigate that space. And my family told me that they were not going to help me with my daughter. So I was just really stressed. I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional at that time. And I thought, you know, things are lining up against me. And this is not what's meant for me. But I still didn't give up. And right before I was about to give up, I ended up finding an apartment just randomly. It fell in my lap. And I was like, okay, it's nothing but God. It may not be what I want, but it's what I need. And so I'm going to take it. I took the apartment, moved my daughter out to Los Angeles with me, and I enrolled her in school. The school told me that my daughter, because of the time that I took her out of school and enrolled her, would lose a year because she had missed her finals. And it just killed me because my daughter was stressed. I'm like, okay, they started to do virtual learning. She was already struggling. And I was like, this is all because of me. And so I was like, did I make the right decision? And I continued to just try to do what I could. And I didn't have any support. And so my job became just my safe haven and really pouring into my work and realizing, okay, I need to be that person that I need. And so I just really started to give it my all. And I was like, I'm not going to give up. There's no way that I can't give up. I've come too far. I have too much to give back. And so my daughter, by the grace of God, she graduated on time. She completed everything. And I was so proud of her. I'm very proud of her. She did everything she needed to do, walked across the stage. And I was just like, okay, things are looking up. And I tell everybody when I became, I'm 44 now. When I turned 42, I think that's when I started to really become who I am. Because I didn't know who I was as a woman, as a person, even as a clinician. I don't think I really knew. I knew who I wanted to be, but I didn't know exactly who I was. And so I started to really lean into that and really feel, okay, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And I think at that time, I applied for a job with the Ahmad Institute. So I seen it in the paper, you know, the position I had transferred for or relocated for was a position working with transitional age youth. And that's what I was doing with the county. And I did that for a little over a year with an agency called Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles. So I was working in Skid Row and just working with individuals. I'm struggling with struggling with homelessness that had come from out of state and they were between the ages of 18 and 25. So I loved that program. I, I built a lot of great relationships. And through that, I was like, okay, I'm ready to grow. And so being able to grow meant I wanted to look for another position. I wanted to look for more money. You know, that was something that I struggled with asking for or even looking for because I didn't believe I deserved it. And so I started to look for a position and I ran across the Ahmad Institute. I did a phone interview. Then I did a virtual interview. And then I did an in-person interview. And just as I'm crying now, I was all emotional in there because they wanted to know my background. Why do I want to work there? And a lot of the people, for those of you who don't know, or a lot of you won't, but the Ahmad Institute is an agency that is unapologetically Black. It is an agency that is tailored towards the LGBTQ community and communities of color. 
And Ahmad stands for Arming Minorities Against Addiction and Disease. It also is a Swahili word for support. So everything that it aligned with was everything that I needed in that moment. And I didn't actually learn all of these things until I started to work there. So I now can say that, that everything lined up and I needed that support. I needed an agency that was going to wrap their arms around me and truly give me everything that I was lacking, which was a community. And I found that with them. And so that's what then transitioned me to working with the LGBTQ community because I felt a commonality with the community. You know, I've felt like no one has seen me. I felt like no one has not. No, I don't want to say I don't want to generalize because there are there are people who have helped me, but there are people who have dropped the ball as well. And I have no problem saying that now, you know, I used to didn't want to call people out or make people feel bad. But I think it's important that people in certain positions know that it's okay to drop the ball as long as you pick it back up, you know. A lot of us get in that space where we drop a ball and then we're scared to go back and we're like, okay, I'm going to just keep moving forward because I don't want to, you know, lose this momentum or I don't want to lose. And you can't do that. You really have to take those steps back or, or stop if that's what you need to do and revisit whatever it is, because that's how you learn a new behavior. And that's something I teach when I'm working with my clients. But that's going into something else. But yeah, so that's my story. A, a, a little bit about, because there's a lot more, but that's some of my story. Um, wow. Thank you, Linnell, for, for sharing so candidly and transparently your, your story with us. I am more than sure that there are lots of folks listening who can relate to your experience and all the various things that you've been through. And when you reflect on, and I'm going to, I know we sent you ahead of time, a whole list of interview questions, but I'm going to deviate because that's just what (laughs) we do. Let the spot lead. (laughs) Flow in the moment. And, And so when you reflect on who you are now, right? And you said like, like today in this moment at 44, like you are in a space where you fully embrace and acknowledge who you are. Yes. You reflect on who you are now, all of the various experiences that you've had leading to now. What do you think is the thing that keeps you going? Because there's the, there was a lot that you shared and there were, and you acknowledged that there were moments where you wanted to give up in this current season of your life. What is the thing that keeps you going, that keeps you motivated? Knowing that there is hope, knowing that change can happen. I think that those are the, the two things that really keep me going because I've seen it and I've been there and I've done that. And sometimes we think we can't change, you know, or the space that we, that we're in is the only space that we belong in. And that's not true. And for a long time, that's where I was at, you know, and I know that you shouldn't have to move away from a place to be able to feel free, but that's what I needed. I'm not saying that that's what everyone will need, but I needed to really separate myself from the town and my family and my friends and just the mindset that I had, because that mindset is what was holding me back and preventing me from being my full self. It wasn't stopping me because I was still, you know, moving on my journey, but it was preventing me from being my full self. I'm still just processing everything you shared, Linnell. And this is just, oh, we started off strong with this, with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we, went in early. we said, scrap the questions. We're going to let spirit flow and we flow. And so I'm thinking yes. about what you shared before, Linnell. And I, I'm thinking about the parallels between my own experience. And if I think about my family, I could name a dozen people who were locked up, like easily, who were locked up. And I think about, you know, going up to prison to visit them. I think about sending my mom letters via JPEG and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. when I think about your story and my experience, I was so accustomed to that environment. It became the norm for me. So 
it was embarrassing. I wouldn't share the stories with other people. But when I think about the person, it was easy for me to see the humanity in the people that society threw, threw away. People who yes. made terrible mistakes, right? People who hurt other people. I still loved them. I still care for them. I still believed in them. I forgave them. And I still saw them as human. And I think that a lot of times when I interact with people who do have a record who had those experiences, there's a lot of shame and unworthiness that comes from that. But yes. I didn't have trouble really seeing their their worthiness because I loved them. I saw the humanity in them. So my question for you is, how did you navigate, if you experienced feelings of shame, how did you navigate that? And how did you find your worth? Because looking at you today, despite what you've been through, you are beautiful. Like your spirit is beautiful. You. you are physically beautiful. I mean, you are just a beautiful person and you didn't even go into the details of what happened and what you did, but you're not defined by that. And that's what I believe. Right. But how did you get to a place where you didn't feel like you were defined from that and you didn't feel that shame? Honestly, Terry, I still struggle. You know, I mean, I think we all struggle with a little bit of imposter syndrome. And so mine is just different, you know, because people struggle with that if they haven't been to prison or jail, you know, they may feel like they don't deserve to be in a room or they're not smart enough to engage with a certain person. So I still struggle with that in certain rooms, I guess I'll say, but not in all rooms. And I say that because the more I strengthen my muscle, the more I'm in spaces like this where I'm able to share my story, this gives me my power back. When I did try not to talk about it, and, and I've always talked about it, but it's been very surface level. And so when I am able to dig a little deeper in and share my story, that's when I think I'm at my best. And that's when I, I learn the most and I heal a little bit more every time. So it is getting easier. But there are times that I, I do still struggle. I mean, I'm human. You can't. Thank you. It'll be all yes. right. We all work some progress. And I appreciate the transparency and the authenticity mm -hmm. there because there are things that I still feel shame about as well. And it's like there are in areas where I grow, I'm like, okay, this other area I still have to work on. So thank you yes. for being transparent. And it sounds like the key here is just to be patient with yourself mm -hmm. and to continue to put yourself in situations, like you said, where you can get your power back, like these types of settings. So that makes perfect yes. sense. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. My saying is to give yourself grace. I always tell my clients that because at the end of the day, if you don't give yourself grace, who will? Right, right. And so speaking of your clients, how, how does your personal life experiences, and I know, you know, going through graduate school, they, you know, oftentimes this westernized white male way of being yes they teach us to be like blank slates and mm -hmm. to not really share a lot of yourself in the therapy space yes but most of us particularly black women therapists mm -hmm. we know that that does not compute with our with the communities that we work with right and so how do you navigate that line of self-disclosure and using self as a tool to help your clients in therapy? So I work with several different populations. My nine to five, I specifically work with a reentry program. So I highlight the fact, and actually my program highlights the fact that our whole team has lived experience. And so I'm able to share my experience is I don't share details, obviously, but I share that, you know, I've been incarcerated as well. You know, I share about my journey and having to fight the board to get licensed. You know, I share those things because those are the, the nuggets that are left out when people are telling their stories. And when someone usually tells you no or tries to close that door and says, you can't do this because to get licensed in the state of California, you can't have a felony or you can't have this type of crime. Some people will just believe that. And so I like to tell them, you don't have to believe that. That doesn't have to be your narrative. And so that's why I do share, you know, my background and what's going on. Now, 
With my private practice, I work with the LGBTQ community and women of color. They may not ask me those specific things. They do ask me things that are specific to them. And so they may ask me, have you worked with anyone like me before? Or have you worked with the trans community? Or, you know, are you a mother? Or whatever it may be. And so it's a little more, I guess, generalized with my private practice because I'm very specific with the populations that I'm working with. And then I also have a consulting business. My consulting business specifically is for the reentry community as well. So it is an area where I'm able to share and highlight my professional and personal development because that's what I do with the reentry community and personal and professional development. So it just depends on the space that I'm in. But that's what I also love about living in L.A. It's very diverse. And I was able to connect, which is why I said, you know, everything happened exactly how it was supposed to. Because everything that my life has brought me, I'm able to repurpose and use in my business. Ooh, oh, mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. <laughs> and as you were listing off, you know, your businesses and expertise and what right. you be doing, I'm like, you are such an inspiration, but also just sharing what's possible. And I know sometimes when we're going yes. through our situation, sometimes we don't want to hear like, oh, it's going to make sense one day. Or, oh, there's a lesson right. like, okay, I'm going through right now. I ain't trying to hear that. But in hindsight, yeah. I'm sure you can see like, oh, okay, connecting the dots, right? On how it all, yes. oh, it's all making sense now. And so you talked a bit about giving yourself grace before. What does it look like to give yourself grace like in action? If someone is listening and maybe they've experienced some of these things and they're like, okay, give me some practical tools. Like, what can I do? What does it look right. like? So I mentioned earlier about slowing down. So giving yourself grace is stopping and not blaming yourselves, not holding yourself accountable every single time something happens. Like we shared a few minutes ago, we're human. So we're going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And so we have to remember that a lot of these skills that we learn are learned skills. We, they don't, we don't just come out with them. So you can't expect yourself to, you know, everything because you didn't learn everything. We learn math, English, and what history, <laughs> what social studies, whatever they taught us in school. But they didn't teach us how to overcome barriers. They didn't teach us how to be patient. They didn't even teach us how to really communicate effectively. You know, and that's something, once again, when you're going to therapy and Of course, I'm an advocate for therapy and I'm still in therapy. I still go to therapy every week, (laughs) even though, you know, I've come a long way. But I think therapy is extremely important because it's another level of teaching. So giving yourself grace is learning. It's being patient and not trying to always force yourself to do something. Not holding yourself to someone else's standard. And that's something that I think is extremely important and something that I always start with when I'm doing therapy as well. I start with awareness because a lot of us don't even know the things that we're doing or need to work on or if we have any traumas or any of those things. So I start with awareness. Then, you know, we work on tools, whatever that may look like, because everyone learns differently. And then we go to what are your core values? Because we usually take everybody else's values with us. As a child, it's our parents' values. When we're in school, it's our teachers and everyone around us, you know, and then it's our friends and different things. And when we become adults, we're supposed to figure out what our own values are, but we don't know that. We're like, oh, yeah, I know what my values, morals and values are. But then you wonder why you're struggling. You wonder why those relationships aren't healthy. Because the way that you're driving yourself, you letting somebody else really drive you around. You're not driving yourself. <laughs> you know? So I know y'all like, that's a word right there. That's I'm, a word. Come on, preacher. Yes. Yes. But, you know, so it's important for me to help people find out what their core values are. You know, what's important to you? What makes you tick? And then we can build off of that. That is so beautiful. So insightful. Thank you so much for sharing those practical tips that someone can use if they are trying to figure out, like, what does it look like to give myself grace? We dove in deep, like, 
from minute number one of this interview. And right. So <laughs> what we want to do, and it's been great. Like there's no, like it's been amazing. And we want to shift up the energy just a little bit. Linnell. Okay. And all right. Because we recognize and appreciate and celebrate the multifaceted woman. And we believe that it's okay to be bougie and classy and mm-hmm. ratchet. And you can yes. still be elegant and dance to strip club music if you so choose. We yes. want to invite you to the OU Blatchet segment. Do you take on the okay. challenge? I do. I take it on. So what we're going to do, Linnell, we're going to ask you three questions. We're going to share okay. three sentence completions. And then we are going to share... A photo. We have three photos that we found okay. of you on social media, and it was very hard Ooh. to find photos. <laughs> it was very hard to find. But okay. We have the three photos pulled up, and what we want you to do is we're going to have you choose a number out of one and three. We'll reveal that photo on the big screen, and we want you to tell us about the photo. Tell, give us some context about the photo that we wouldn't know just by looking at it. So okay. we're going to jump into the questions first. So the first question for you is what's the best piece of wisdom or advice you've ever received? to be authentically me and I think that's the best advice I've received because at the time I didn't know what it really meant and now I utilize that as code switching I don't use the word code switching anymore but that's what I feel I am doing when I'm authentically me and so with you sharing, you know, you like to be able to dance and be whatever, ratchet, blatchet, whatever, bougie, whatever it is. I feel like that speaks to being authentically me. And I've been able to step into that space. And so that's what I think about. I hear that shit. <laughs> okay, I love that. I love that. Being authentically you. Yeah. All right. So we right um, now. You're going to find out what's authentically you next. Okay. So we have four words for you. Okay. Twerk or two-step? Two-step. All right. (laughs) Two-step? Yes. It's not because I don't know how to twerk, y'all. It's okay. We've had moments on the podcast. We've revealed our... Our rhythm challenge at times, even as black okay. women, we like everybody don't know how to work, y'all. Everybody, we yeah, be they don't do a little I'm something, something. Yeah, ain't nothing yeah, wrong I, with I, it. I, I got some rhythm, but I can't twerk. <laughs> oh, our third question for you, Linnell, is what's the sexiest item you own? Oh, this is probably boring. <laughs> I can't. But the sexiest item I own is probably a shoe. Oh, what kind of shoe? What does yeah. it look like? What color? I, I I love shoes, period. So heels are just like my thing. And I, I just love a strappy heel. So yeah, I have a colorful little strappy heel. Yeah, yeah, I love a good shoe. Basically, I, I love a good shoe. <laughs> but I'm pretty bored. And I'm like, man, and my foundation was in church. So, and I'm not to, not to say church people are boring. To the listeners, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm just not really, I don't know. That's crazy. I need to give me some lingerie or something because now I feel like y'all testing me. <laughs> we want you to be your authentic self yes. and you yes. can authentically be you in that sexy strappy heel. Yes, yes I can. Yes, I can. Yes. <laughs> and so now we're going to move to our sentence completion. So the first sentence completion is one question or topic I wish people asked me about more often is my relationship. Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, or maybe like, uh, you know, I just feel like I need to talk about that more. It's something that I don't often talk about and, you you know, single and I am growing in that area. So it is an area that I want to embrace more. So I think I need to talk about it more to be able to embrace it more. Well, Terry, it's you want to let her know? Right. Let's let, let her know. know. So you won't believe this, Linnell, but the next sentence completion is what I would share about my relationship status right now. What I'm learning is <laughs> that I need to be in one. No, let's <laughs> no, not this way. No, what I'm learning is that I was never ready to be in one. 
I didn't know what healthy relationships looked like. I had never had any real conversations, honestly, just about dating and never really dated. And so I now know what I want that to look like. So I am ready for it. So, yeah. But that's beautiful. That is. We're all about manifestation too. So we're sending you good energy your way. Okay. I received it. Yes. Desire. (laughs) And. I love it. Yes. And that takes us to our last one, Dom. Our last sentence completion before we hop into the photo. Well, part of being in a healthy relationship also requires knowing yourself, right? Yes. And so our final sentence completion is. What I love most about myself is my energy. I think I have very positive energy and I am able to really influence people with that energy I found. And so I love that just about me, the the part I play in people's lives. I see it. I feel it. Thank you. Now I'm scared to see this picture. Well, luckily, I was going to say, it was very hard to find pictures on social media. So I don't know if we just couldn't find the right page, but we did some Googling and they're all good pictures. So, okay. Yeah. Don't be be too worried. I was taking a social media cleanse this week. So if you look this week, that could be why. Okay. That's why then. Yep. You're right. Okay. Okay. So we missed, we missed out because of the social media cleanse, which is totally okay. But we do have a photo a couple photos pulled up. So if you can okay. choose a number out of one and three, we'll go ahead and repeat. Two. Two. All right. Let's see. This is cute. Okay, let's do it. So what we'll do, Linnell, you can first describe the photo for folks that are only listening to the podcast. And then okay. after you describe it, give us some context about the photo that we wouldn't know about the day or whenever it happened. But this is a fly photo. This is cute. It's I given... Okay, it's all right. Okay, it's giving. It's giving. Yeah, look, look, it's giving. Okay, so the picture is a picture of me standing in front of a tree with my hand under my chin. You know, I'm trying to get sophisticated and, you know, I'm trying to give. I know what I'm doing. That's what I was trying to give, y'all. This this is the first picture ever that I took as far as a professional photo. And my cousin took this in her French yard. And we just, I have been using it ever since. And I'm laughing because I just can't believe I'm still using the picture, but it is a good picture, literally. It is. is. (laughs) We just did it with a little iPhone and she was like, no, get over there and do this and turn. And it was like three or four pictures. And at the time I was also doing a live stream on Facebook and so I needed some photos. And so that was another reason I did this because I needed to utilize them for that. And it's perfect. I love the shirt too. The shirt, the seat. Thank part you. The shirt. Yeah, it's, wow. Look at the journey. It's just like, yeah. Bringing everything full circle. Wow, wow, wow. Linnell, thank you so much for participating in the OU Blatchett segment with us. We're going to dive back into some other questions here. Okay. And one of the questions I thought about as you were speaking, I thought it was so interesting that you said, you truly found yourself or like started finding mm-hmm. yourself at 42. And I feel like sometimes yes. people put these, these expectations on themselves on when they need to find themselves. And usually 30 is like a big milestone where it's like, okay, I got to have everything together by 30. And so right. when you think about finding yourself at 42, what else would you want to share with us or even the listeners who might be thinking that they have to meet this sort of milestone, this expectation by way of milestones and what society says they should achieve? What are your thoughts on that? And any insights you've learned? Well, my thoughts on it are, are don't put yourselves in a bad box. Once again, give yourself grace. And like I've said over and over, and that's why it's my mantra as well. You have really had, you can't hold yourself to those other standards. Those individuals haven't gone through the things that you have gone through. They're not experiencing the barriers that you're experiencing. And this is also a new day and age. You know, a lot of things are happening now that didn't happen years ago, whether it be 10, 20, 30 years, sometimes last year, you know. (laughs) So you really have to give yourself grace in those areas and make sure that you're not competing with anyone, you know. And if you are going to compete, compete with yourself. You know, the saying, you know, just be better than you were yesterday. 
And as long as you're changing at least one little thing, that's moving you in the right direction. Don't think that you have to do 10 things to in one day to make you successful. It took us 20 steps to get to that 21st step. You can't hop over all those steps and think you're just going to make it there. You have to take the steps. And so this is the same thing. Just remember one step at a time, one day at a time, one hour at a time, depending on what you're going through. But, you know, it is possible. And don't give up on yourselves because everybody else might give up on you. But if you continue to believe in yourself, people will start to follow suit. Yes. Yes. Ooh, come through with the words of wisdom. Okay. <laughs> so, Linnell, as you, you know, were sharing your story, one of the things that you mentioned was that the California Board of Behavioral Science puts, and I'm trying to control my facial expression for those who are watching us on Patreon mm-hmm. because it's my irritation with the systems, right? Yeah. And, and so as you were navigating the constant barriers that they were putting in your way, how did you, what did you do to keep persisting? Like what were like some of the practical things that you would do to keep persisting every time they tossed a new barrier in your way? Cause like as you were sharing those barriers, I was like, I might have walked away. I might have said, let me figure out a new career. But yeah. what were some of the practical things that you did to keep yourself in that fight? Well, as I shared, my, I'm grounded in my faith. So pray was like, number one, I was consistently praying whether I felt like I needed to or not. Crying. I know sometimes we feel like we don't want to cry or it's not going to do anything, but it does do something for us. It releases a lot of that anxiety. It does kind of free you up so you can think clearly. And so I had to continuously allow myself or give myself permission to cry and to let go and to be weak. That's another thing because as Black women, we have that notion that we have to be strong and, and oh, and I have to continue to stick it through. And yes, I would tell myself that, but I would also give myself that space to rest. You know, I would tell myself, okay, well, we can't get everything done today, you know, so I'm not going to stress it if I can't get everything done today. (laughs) You know, I just have to acknowledge that, okay, I can do A, B, and C, and tomorrow I have to start over again. I might still be working on A. I don't know, but if that's the case, I just have to be consistent. And I would wake up every morning telling myself that, you got this, it's going to be okay. There were days when I get in the car and scream if things would happen, you know, because I'm like, oh, and then I'll be like, okay, you gave yourself five minutes to scream or 10 minutes to cry. We got to get back on it now. That was enough to give today. So I do do a lot of, you know, self-talk or did, and I still do. Positive self-talk is huge because we don't get a lot of positivity often. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know for me, I didn't give a lot of positive statements or affirmations. So I do it as often as I can for myself because there was a time when I fed into those negative thoughts. And so I wasn't feeding into myself or pouring into my own cup. So I had to learn to do that as well. Yes, yes, that is so important. We definitely talk about mantras and affirmations and just the dialogue we have internally. And speaking of that, one thing, well, so many things that you said were so intriguing, but I often hear about people who represent themselves in court and I'm always wondering, like, how do you do that? What does that even look like? How did you prepare? What does that entail? Can you just let us know? Well, (laughs) you even give a... A little more. I used to want to be a lawyer. That's what I wanted to be as a child. (laughs) So I'm very detail oriented. As you can tell, I love to talk. So I just felt like, okay, this is going to be my career, you know, path. I can get in there and I can prove somebody wrong. We don't debate. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a win, you know, I just had (laughs) And, but after that, I was like, okay, I think the main thing that made me represent myself is because when I took my charges, 
after reading, there were areas that were not accurate. And if I would have read or if I would have been supported or had more knowledge in that area, I would not have said that I did it. And I'm not saying that's always true, but it's just, you know, for a lot of cases, sometimes, you know, we don't read. We believe what the public defender is telling us and we just don't want to get in trouble or don't want to do that much time. And so we accept what they tell us. And that's what I did. And so after I looked over everything, I was like, this isn't true. This isn't true. This is actually what gave me the felony. And so I was discouraged, disheartened, disappointed. But then I was also at the point where I had done my time and I'm like, well, I did do something and I had done other things that I probably didn't get in trouble for. So this is what I have to go to go through to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I didn't share when I was telling my story is that when I was incarcerated, really the aha moment I had and when I really decided that I was going to go into this field is because there were individuals there that didn't have homes and they didn't have food. And they were in there because they didn't have those things and they needed that space. I had those things. Even though, once again, you know, I wasn't really engaging with my family. I did have a family I could go to if I really needed to. I did have, you know, family members' homes that were safe that I could have went to. But because at that time I was in the streets, I didn't have my parents, and I felt like I had to do it on my own, I wasn't receptive to that help. But being incarcerated really opened my eyes, like you were sharing, Terry, just to a lot of the things. It, it just gave me more humility. And, and opened up my humanity, I guess. And it pointed me in the direction that I'm in right now. Thank you for pointing that out and acknowledging that. And, and so speaking of understanding the experiences of people who have been incarcerated, in addition to understanding that some folks really are there, they will commit crimes to be placed there to have yes. that that roof over their head, the steady meal. What what is something else that you wish people knew and understood about the about the experiences of those who are incarcerated? I really want people to understand that everybody that gets incarcerated is not the same. So they don't need the same, they don't need to be approached in the same way. And I say that because a lot of the areas I did not get help in, I couldn't get help because I didn't have an addiction or because I did graduate from school. So those, they were like, well, you're smart. You don't need us. And so I couldn't get any assistance. And so I think that it's, first of all, stupid <laughs> for any program or, or any organization to think that way. Because obviously I was lacking something, which is why I made the decisions I was making, which is why I became incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And so I would not have been there if I would have had all the tools that I needed and was able to utilize them correctly. So I think it's important that people just acknowledge that there is no cookie cutter way to approach humans. You have mm -hmm. to talk to that person. You have to build a rapport to figure out what they need. And that's how I approach therapy. That's one of the main things I tell people. You're here and we're going to have a, a just a conversation and I'm going to get to know you. And once we have that conversation, I'll be able to tell from there what you need from me. You know, and I also tell them they're the expert because they are. I don't know them. They were coming to therapy to tell me about what's going on in their life. And I'm yep. then there to help them process whatever comes up. But I'm not the expert. So at the end of the day, I'm there to listen. I'm there to help guide you. I'm there to help point things out that you probably haven't recognized, the patterns, you know? And so that's how I start. And that's how I bridge the gap. Because when I was in therapy, it was just, okay, you're here and this is what you're going to work on. This is what I feel you need to work on. This is what I see needs to be worked on. And I'm like, okay, well, what if? What if I need to talk about my family or what if I want to talk about this and you just want to talk about my incarceration? 
And really, that was just because at that time I was having money issues. And that's why I did what I did. But there are deeper issues here that we can talk about that will help me to get to that place where I can accept what I've done. But a lot of therapists didn't want my input. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I push a different narrative. I'm not here to talk. You're here to talk, not me. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. I was about to say, it's human human nosy because it's like, but I will say, being with, whenever we have therapists like you and Dom that are on the show, it just makes me so happy that we have people like you two in the world to support. Like, I wish I had a therapist like you two when I was younger. When I first started therapy, it was like an older white woman. And not to say that you can't benefit from an older white woman, right. but you know how it is when it comes to the cultural experience. It wasn't a mm-hmm. great experience for me until I had a therapist who looked like me and who spoke my language. So I'm just so grateful that we have women like you in the world. But Linnell, this has been such an incredible conversation. I cannot wait to personally go back and listen to this interview. We have one final question for you. And the question is, what would you say to someone who has made some mistakes in life and they feel discouraged and they feel hopeless about their future? What would you say to them as they're listening to this podcast, they're connecting with your story and they're just trying to find some additional inspiration on what do I go? Where do I go from here? What do I do next after I've made this mistake? Well, I would say, hey, sis, and hey, bro, (laughs) you don't have to give up. Believe in yourself. Don't believe what other people are telling you. You know, don't believe what you read all the time either, because that's not always true. They don't always put the correct things out there for us to read. They put the things that they believe we don't read and they want us to read and we run with it. But don't do that. Do your own research. Do your own footwork and believe that anything is possible and then keep that hope, you know, because once you lose hope, you lose momentum. And I don't ever want you to lose momentum. So keep hope alive. I know that's cliche, but we're going to keep hope alive. (laughs) We're going to keep that that statement going because that that is true, especially when it comes to us as a community, us as a people, we just have to really keep hope alive, believe we can do it, believe that change is coming. We might not be there to see it, but we will see some change. And that should be enough. Oh, Renelle, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing your words of wisdom with our audience. I know that lots of listeners are resonating with the things that you share. And unfortunately, based on the way things are in this country, I know that there are lots of listeners who either themselves have been incarcerated or they have family members who have been incarcerated and or dealing with addiction. Yes, And so the work that you're doing is so powerful and so important and so needed. And I know that a lot of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. And so can you share with them how they can connect with you? Yes. So right now, you can connect with me. I'm trying to think the best option for everyone since I have several different <laughs> Platforms, but I think the best thing would be on my healthy self wellness services website. So I can have the ladies send that information, but I'll put it, it's healthy and I have a play on words. So I want to make sure I put that out there. Yes. Heal thyself, healthy self, but it's just, yeah, but it's healthy self. So H E A L T H Y S E L F. Wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, services, S-E-R-V-I-B-S-B-E-F. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm not a spelling bee champ. Okay, but yeah. So healthy, services.com. So if you just go to my site, you'll be able to send me a message through there. If you are looking to book therapy services, you're also able to do that through the site as well. If you're looking for consulting services, you can message me there and we can talk about those services there as well. 
Also, you can contact me at 323-450-7908. That is my business line. Thank you so much, Linnell. We'll be sure to add links in the show notes so they can just click on those links as well and support. And again, we thank you and appreciate you. Yes, I appreciate appreciate you ladies for bringing me on, for allowing me to share my story and be vulnerable with you both and just making me feel safe as well. It was really a great experience. I really appreciate it. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at herspacepodcast.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me, I am worthy of a happy life.